This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, joining me later on today's program, uh, segments two and three, will be Mr. Simon Popple. Many of you will recognize Simon as a returning guest. Simon is a prolific author and commentator. He uh, works in the precious metals and commodities area. I'm going to get his take on Fed policy, inflation, and what you should be doing now with your money. It is June. I do have a special report for you available only during the month of June. The June 2023 special report is titled Current Economy Income Strategies. To get your free report, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. The report contains three income planning mistakes people make when planning for retirement and during retirement, and it also gives you some strategies to consider to avoid these mistakes. So again, to get your copy of the June 2023 special report titled Current Economy Income Strategies, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. Many years ago here on the program, I had an opportunity to interview Doug Casey, and since that time, I have followed Mr. Casey's writing, and Mr. Casey had an interesting piece that he put out this past week dealing with the bankruptcy of the U.S. government. He says that everyone knows the U.S. government is bankrupt and has been for many years, And he adds that whenever the chattering classes talk about cuts, it's only about cuts over the course of 10 years, which is a dodge. It's a fraud, partly because most of the supposed cuts will be scheduled for the end of the period, but also because new programs, new emergencies, and hidden contingencies are guaranteed to creep in, which would more than offset any cuts that were being planned. So as a result of this latest debt ceiling deal, Mr. Casey comments that the anticipated $2 trillion deficit for 2024 is not a worst case scenario. It is more likely the rosiest possible scenario. And to add my comments to what Mr. Casey says, only in Washington do they talk about cuts as cuts in the growth in spending. It's not cuts. So where does all this go? Well, Mr. Casey said that people thought he was joking when asked how bad the Great Depression was going to be. He answered that it would be worse than even he thought it would be. But he says, I have not been joking. He said, to sum up the situation, given its financial condition, meaning the financial condition of the United States, And the political forces working to worsen it, the U.S. government is facing a completely impossible situation, a situation uh, that really has no cure or no remedy. He said the problems we face are 100% caused by the U.S. government, not by bankers or brokers, although they have been complicit. He said you have to stop and think about what government is. A government is an organization with a monopoly of force within a certain geographic area. Government's purpose, ostensibly, is to protect the inhabitants of this geographical area from the initiation of force. And that implies that government should do three things. 
should have an army to protect against aggressors coming in from outside its borders, police to protect citizens from aggressors inside its borders, and a court system to allow systems to settle disputes without resorting to force. If you're going to have a government, Casey says, you should limit it strictly unless it gets completely out of control. And then it eventually, when it does get out of control, will overwhelm the society it is supposed to protect. Now, some of you may think those words are a little bit harsh. I happen to think those words are actually spot on. He said, you have to distinguish, this is Casey again, you have to distinguish government from society. They're not really the same thing because everything that people think the government provides is really provided by society using resources the government has procured or taken from society. He said, you have to understand that or you won't see the slippery slope the U.S. is now sliding on. Now, Casey said, is there any chance the U.S. government can reform and go back to a sustainable basis at this point? He'd say no. I would say no as well. In the new retirement rules class I teach every month, I walk through the math. The financial problems of the United States, using simple math, cannot be solved through increasing taxes. Any politician that stands up and says we can solve these problems by increasing taxes is doing nothing but spewing rhetoric. Now, Mr. Casey said when you study history, you can see this slippery slope. He argues that it started more than 120 years ago with the Spanish-American War. That's when the U.S. acquired its first foreign possessions, Cuba, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, and so on. He said it then accelerated with the advent of the income tax and the Federal Reserve in 1913. That's a year that we talk about frequently here on RLA Radio. And it accelerated even further with World War I when the government took over the economy for 18 months. Then the New Deal in World War II made the state into a permanent major feature in the average American's life. The Great Society in the 60s made free food, free housing, and free medical care a feature. Finally, the link between the dollar and gold was eliminated in 1971 because the government had overspent. It was shortly after that time that the petrodollar was put in place, a system that is now being threatened, as we have discussed here on the program. Casey continues that the Cold War and a series of undeclared wars, including Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq, among others, cemented the military in place as a permanent focus of the government. And since 9-11, the curve has gone literally hyperbolic with the war on terror. Casey said that, Casey states, I should say, that it's been said that war is the health of the state. We have lots more war on the way, and that will expand the state's spending. But the Greater Depression, according to Casey, will be an even bigger drain. It will likely destroy the middle class. See, in all that time, he adds, from 1898 to today, there have been no substantial retrenchments of U.S. government. And the situation is getting worse, and it's accelerating hyperbolically. 
Casey notes that trends in motion tend to stay in motion until they're stopped or changed dramatically with a genuine crisis. And this trend has been gaining momentum for over a century. He said, let's take a look at the three classes. If we want to divide people into three classes, economically speaking, we've got the rich, the poor, and the middle class. Rich people, Casey says, are going to be okay. They may, they may get eaten later, but for the moment, don't worry about them. They can profit from distortions in markets. They have resources and no travel agents that can get them out of Dodge. So don't worry about the rich people. And the poor people, well, they don't have much to lose. The government's going to keep throwing benefits at them to make them happy. He, Casey says that's a shame because it cements them to the bottom as poor people, but that's a topic for another day. Now, here's the point that I wanted to make in bringing this up. It's a real danger, Casey says, to the middle class. This is serious because the United States is a middle class society. The middle class are people who try to produce more than they consume and save the difference in order to build a nest egg, in order, in order to grow wealthier. That formula has worked well up to now, but almost everybody saves in dollars. So Casey asks a really good question. What happens if dollars are destroyed? The short answer, it means most of what the middle class has saved disappears and the middle class disappears with it, at least for that generation. So my point is, and Casey's point is, and I'll conclude with, with what he concluded, he said that there's no really, no conventional solution to the US government's financial crisis. And I would add that if you're planning for retirement using conventional methods, you may also fail. That's why I would invite you to get a copy of the special report for the month of June titled Current Economy Income Strategies. It deals with some of the issues that Mr. Casey addresses in his piece and talks about the fact that you cannot use accumulation strategies as you're approaching retirement, which is your distribution stage. It also talks about the fact that you have to realize today's markets are artificial and you have to plan accordingly and you have to plan for inflation and assume that your dollars will not buy in the future what they buy to you today. That's a big threat that you face that your parents and grandparents didn't. So again, to get that report, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. And when you let me know where to mail the report, I'll be glad to do that. Again, the June 2023 special report is Current Economy Income Strategies. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Simon Popple. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Simon Popple. Many of you will recognize Simon as a prolific author and economic commentator. You can learn more about his work at brookvillecapital.com. He also has a gold package available there for a very, very low cost, uh, 6 or $7. My uh, pound to dollar exchange rate is uh, uh, not exact here in my head, but it's it's, it's very inexpensive. And, and Simon, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. So Simon, let's just jump in. Uh, let, let, let's talk about the, the, the banking sector to get started. 
Um, you know, we've had here in the States uh, Signature Valley Bank, excuse me, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic. We've had a, a lot of banking issues. Um, is it your view that this is really uh, these banking failures are the canary in the coal mine and there's more to come? Do you expect this is going to be a worldwide issue? What's your take on the banking sector? Well, I, I think it's, you know, in a word, it's scary because, um, you know, the answer is we don't know. And um, <clears throat> all these, you know, all these uh, problems were, were dealt with very quickly, which was which was great. But um, uh, it, it kind of makes me nervous. And uh, so it kind of. You know, I like to have a diversified portfolio. You know, for one moment, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in in regional banks or anything like that, but I, I like the idea of not having all my eggs in one basket. And uh, you know, I think that's quite important. And uh, you know, I think that gold, you know, which is a kind of a, even though it's a new opportunity for many people, you know, it's been around for thousands of years, and so um, it, you know, people strive for their gold medal in the olympics you know they have their golden years when they retire the child's been as good as gold you know i think there's a lot of um uh, a lot of our lives are are driven by gold but i know we've become so used to it we've done nothing about it which is um it's a bit of a shame really so simon are you suggesting that uh, you're, you're thinking that we're going to see more banking failures and and gold is going to be Perhaps a bit of a way to 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 hedge from that, or or what? What's your outlook for the banking sector? Well, I, I think the banking sector, uh, you know, clearly it's had some issues, and I think that if if interest rates continue to rise, I would have thought those issues are going to get worse rather than better. Um, so that's that's a bit of a um, I don't know canary in the coal mine, so to speak. You know, to see let's see what happens to interest rates because if they keep going up, um, then um, uh, the banking sector probably could be under more pressure. Uh, but I think the Fed's in a horrible position because uh, inflation's going up. And, um, you know, if, if I lend you some money and, you know, the, let's say I lend you 100 bucks and I can buy 10 bottles of my favorite wine, and then you pay me back, you know, whatever it is, 8, 10% interest in a year's time, but I can only buy eight bottles of my favorite wine, then, um, you know, one of two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to ask for a much higher rate the next time you ask for money, or I'm not going to lend you any money. And um, so, you know, I, I think the banking sector, uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm less confident than I used to be about it. Um, and uh, so, you know, should you have some money in regional banks? I don't see why not, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have all, all my money in there. So, Simon, if I can just follow up on a comment you made, because, you know, you suggested the Fed is in a horrible position. I I certainly agree. I guess as I see it, uh, when the Fed started to taper, when they started to increase interest rates to, uh, you know, ostensibly to get inflation under control, I suggested that at a certain point we would have to see them reverse course uh, simply because they really have a choice of uh, sacrificing the purchasing power of the dollar or perhaps uh, sacrificing the economy. And it, it was my opinion that we would probably opt to try to save the economy. And it, and it seems now that that may be where they had, although it's a little bit early to, to tell. What what do you think the Fed policy will be moving ahead? Well, as I say, I think, I think, I think they're in a horrible position. I mean, um, if, I think you have to look at what they can control and what they can't control. 
You know, they can control interest rates, but they can't control inflation. And I think that, you know, I recently went shopping and, you know, it was a lot more expensive than it used to be. And, um, but, you know, if, if that's the case, then interest rates are traditionally the tool to, to deal with inflation. But I think you can only interest, only increase interest rates so, so far. And, you know, they're already, um, you know, several hundred percent higher than where they used to be. And, um, you know, with, with property prices and everything else going up, which has been great for leveraged assets. Um, it's not so good for, for, uh, leveraged assets on the way down. You know, it's great on the way up, but not so good on the way down. And so, um, it, it, they're in a horrible position because if, if, if your cost of borrowing goes, you know, doubles, trebles, um, then things become a lot less affordable. And if, if things become less affordable, then, um, the value kind of has to come down. I mean, we'd all like a Ferrari, but we can't afford a Ferrari. And um, so I think that, um, you know, they've got some very, very tough decisions ahead. So, Simon, just uh, along those same lines or in that same vein, we have the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa that uh, are openly talking about developing a a, a trading currency, for lack of a better term, to uh, maybe uh, take the place of the U.S. dollar in a lot of international transactions. And that certainly seems to be a trend that's accelerating. Uh, getting back to your gold comment, do you see the BRICS countries or any other country at some point in the future going back to some type of a gold exchange standard? Uh, I think it's something that um, a lot of people are talking about. Um, I don't think there'll be a gold exchange standard but it'd be no surprise if there was um a, a fiat currency which was more let's say commodity backed than than what we have at the moment um you know, you know i i can never see anything being fully backed by by anything but uh uh if there was a degree of backing uh then that wouldn't surprise me so, so I don't see a gold standard, but but I I do see a, perhaps let's say a a resource standard type currency. So so uh, Simon, just to 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 jump in maybe a little bit and and drill down on gold. Uh, do, do you have a forecast as to where you think gold ultimately goes in terms of you know priced in a, in a fiat currency like the U.S. dollar? Well, I mean. I don't so much have a, an upside, but I've, I've got more of a downside because it, according to the World Gold Council, the, uh, all in sustainable cost is around sort of 1200, uh, bucks an ounce. And so if the price goes much below that, um, then logically, you know, a lot of mines will, will stop producing. And, and, and if you've got, uh, symbol economics, if you've got less supply, you tend to find the price goes back up. So even though I wouldn't say, you know, 1200 is a firm floor, economics would suggest that the price shouldn't go much lower than that. Otherwise, you know, you've got no real new supply coming onto the market. But what I like about it is um, there's no kind of uh, lid to the upside. So I, I kind of personally view it as, you know, a limited downside risk but open-ended upside risk. And, you know, where that can go, uh, nobody knows. But, um, you know, I, 
I like I like the economics of it, and um, it's it's one of those sort of areas that uh, you know very few people have got any exposure to it whatsoever. And you know, I, I'm just saying, you know, they should have some, and uh, even if it's one percent of their portfolio, um, having some exposure to an asset that's been around for thousands of years and, and has been important in times of you know difficulty. Um, I think I'd also add that. There aren't many assets that are globally recognized. You know, you could take, um, you know, a bar of gold anywhere in the world and it's viewed as valuable. Whereas, you know, you can't say the same for property. Obviously, property in, let's say, New York is worth a lot more than property in, in some other parts of America simply because of location. And that doesn't apply to gold. You know, it doesn't matter if you, if you're sunning gold in New York or, you know, wherever you are in America or wherever you are in the world, you know, it's still worth the same amount. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm chatting today with uh, author Simon Popple. His website is brookvillecapital.com. I'd encourage you to go there and check out his gold package. Uh, and uh, Simon, just in the time that we have left in this segment, maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about your gold package to the listeners. Yeah, I mean, basically what I'm trying to do is, you know, it's a new opportunity for a lot of people. Uh, even though gold's been around for thousands of years, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't invested in it. So, what I'm trying to do really is, is help them take gold from outside their comfort zone to inside their comfort zone. And uh, the book kind of sets out different ways you can uh, get exposure to the market. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'm going to have to buy a gold bar and have it knocking around the house, which is it's just a misconception. There's loads of ways you can get involved in, in, in the, the gold market and commodity market for that matter uh, without ever taking any form of physical delivery of gold or silver or copper, whatever it is. And um, there's obviously different risks to different different approaches. So, you know, at the end of the day, you want to take an approach that is is suitable for your appetite for risk. Um, so, you know, th- that's really the idea of it. And, and um, that's the book. On top of the book, I've got two free bonuses. One is my six pillars of investing that kind of takes you through how I look at literally any investment. And, you know, it'll give you an example. That includes cycles. And a lot of people don't understand cycles. And, you know, what I say to people is, you know, you never know if you're at the bottom of a cycle, but but you've probably got a good idea that you're at the top of one. And I personally would rather invest more towards the bottom of a cycle than the top of a cycle. Um and the other bonus I have is in, you, you can discover where some of the big funds are investing in gold, you know, what companies are investing in, how they're investing. And uh, I think that's really useful for people because that gives them a, a perspective as to how other professional investors are investing. And, um, you know, clearly these people are putting their own money into things. They've done a lot of research on it. And uh, I think it's, it's quite a nice shortcut for people to, uh, to sort of, put a few companies on their list to, to have a closer look at. Well, the good news is I'm going to talk to Mr. Simon Popple again in the next segment, but the bad news is we're out of time for this segment. Again, Simon's website is brookvillecapital.com, and I'll continue my conversation with, with Mr. Simon Popple when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. Simon Popple. He is an author and uh, is offering a gold package to the listeners today for 
uh, just under five pounds, which I think is around $7. You can learn more at brookvillecapital.com. And Simon, at the end of the last segment, you were talking a bit about, about cycles and how it relates to investing. I'd like to drill down on that just a little bit. Uh, let's talk about cycles as it relates to stocks worldwide, in your opinion, and as it relates to precious metals, gold and silver worldwide. Can you can you comment a bit more? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you look at a lot of stock markets, they're perhaps not at their highs, but they're not a million miles off their, off their highs. Um, and I appreciate the gold prices, you know, it's, it's towards previous highs, but um, it's, I, I think there's various points to make. I mean, the, the first is the gold miners. If you're going to buy equities, uh, they are um, perhaps not at their lows, but they are a lot cheaper than, um, than a lot of stocks are. And what I like about gold is you can't print it. And, uh, you know, these companies are producing something some of the larger ones are paying a dividend and um you've got a really kind of uh established metal gold's been around for thousands of years so you're not sort of investing in a new fad you're investing in something that's been tried and tested and uh, i've done a bit of analysis i looked at you know gold versus um the dow industrial average and you know there's been quite a lot of situations where the Dow's taken a tumble and gold's done pretty well. Um, I wouldn't say it always does well. It's not a perfect hedge, but but I like the odds. You know, I think that uh, uh, if you don't have any gold in your portfolio, it makes sense to have some. And uh, you know, if we do get a tumble, then um, you know you can um, uh, you know you, you can kind of work out what you want to do. Simon, I want to talk a little bit about what I would call the the elephant in the room, uh, worldwide debt is at an all-time extreme level. Uh, at the time of the financial crisis, about, we'll call it 14 or 15 years ago, worldwide debt was at about $100 trillion. It is now in excess of $300 trillion. Here in the United States, we just, uh, after a lot of drama, predictably, uh, the politicians in Washington decided to uh, suspend the debt ceiling and not deal with it again until after the next election, which virtually assures we're going to have another four plus trillion dollars of debt. When you do the math, this this debt worldwide, both in the private sector and on, on the balance sheets of governments, is obviously at a level that it can never possibly be repaid with honest money, which makes me think, and, and, and just I'd like your view, makes me think that we're either going to see Massive currency creation and a, and, a, and, a, and a lot of inflation, perhaps hyperinflation, followed by a deflationary period. Or we're going to see massive amounts of defaults and we're going to go straight to a really severe deflationary period. What's your opinion? Well, I, I, I don't think we're going to see defaults because, um, you know, we, we've already kind of uh, had situations where, uh, you know, there is potential for default. You know, U.S. government is a, is a case in point, and um, I can't e ever seeing anyone voluntarily defaulting. Um, I think the issue is at the moment you kind of got a choice whether you default or not. Whereas I think at some point in the future, uh, and I think it, it could be a long time away, but but I think that um, people may turn around and say, "Well, look, I don't want that particular currency because." There's so much of it about relative to how much they generate 
um, that, uh, you know, I want to have my own currency. And I, I think that's my concern is that, um, you know, it's okay lending in pounds or euros or dollars, whatever it is. Um, that's one thing, but, but it, 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 or if I borrow in that currency, I want to pay back in that currency because I control the currency. What I don't want to have is a situation where I, I lend in pounds, but I have to pay back in a different currency because then, you know, I'm not only taking, um, a sort of credit risk, but I'm also taking a lot of currency risk as well. And, um, if I don't control my own currency, then, uh, if, you know, if we get hyperinflation or something like that, uh, then, um, you know, I could have difficulty paying back. So, Simon, let's just, uh, you know, talk about the fact that you said I, you, you don't envision anybody voluntarily defaulting. I, I certainly uh, would agree with that. Doesn't that mean that the only other alternative these central banks are going to have is to uh, create currency? Uh, uh, here in the States, the Fed's already the largest holder of U.S. government debt. That's likely going to get uh, bigger. Uh, they've made a decision to, uh, you know, backstop banks at this point, even uninsured deposits. Uh, the insurance fund, uh, I think has less than 1% of the assets, uh, in the reserve fund that, that, that actually are being insured. Um, that doesn't, don't all these, these, these situations, these scenarios just point to the fact that we're going to have to see more currency creation? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> which 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 leads me on to gold because you can print currency but you can't print gold and uh you can't print other commodities either and so i think that um i don't see any defaults i i, I well any defaults i don't see many defaults but i i think that uh there will simply be currency printing to avoid defaults and the more currency you print the higher uh inflation is likely to be uh, interest rates could get really nasty, and um, you know, I, 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 I think it could be you know a, a challenging time. You know, I people talk about the cost of living crisis, and uh, you know, I really hope it is a cost of living crisis rather than the good old days. Well, Sammy, you mentioned other commodities. Uh, we've talked a little bit about about gold. Uh, talk a bit about. Silver. What's your what's your opinion on silver relative to gold? Do you, do you have a favorite between the two? Uh, to be honest, I like both, and I'm a big fan of diversity. You know, and I I think you should have gold, silver, copper, nickel, lithium. Um, you should have a broad range of commodities in your portfolio because um, no one really knows. We know we know we're, what we do know is we know we're in trouble, <laughs> but we don't know what the winners are going to be. Uh, you know, I think there's a good chance. Uh, it could be gold, but it, you know, it could, it could turn out to be lithium or copper or nickel or silver. You just don't know. But I think if you've got a good, well diversified portfolio, um, and you can get a lot of diversity, you know, you can get different commodities, you can get different stages of, of the, of the cycle. You can, you know, you know, some producers, some explorers, some that are very new to production. So you could have a pretty broad portfolio. Um, not only at different commodities and different stages of production, but also different currencies. So, you know, you could have exposure to, let's say, the Australian dollar or the, you know, and Canadian dollar as well as, as your exposure to the US. So 
I what I what I really like about it about the asset classes is uh, even if you're investing a relatively small amount of your portfolio, you know whatever it is, let's say one percent. Uh, within that one percent, you can have huge diversification, which which I really like. So you you kind of alluded to this, Simon. But in the time we have left, I think it'd be very helpful. Uh, maybe we can zero on either gold or silver, whatever whatever you like to talk about. But short of someone, you know, buying gold rounds, uh, gold gold bars, or uh, you know, Canadian maple leaves, or or some type of uh, some some gold coin that they take physical possession of. Talk about, uh, if you would, in some detail about different ways to get exposure to gold and silver. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways you can get exposure to gold and silver. Um, I view it as a bit like buying fine wine. You um, you want to know who it's from, that they're highly credible. You want to know that it's stored correctly, insured correctly. And um, if it costs you a tiny bit more to do that, you know, I'm inclined to pay that because at the end of the day, uh, chances are you'll sell it. And I've sold, <clears throat> I bought and sold lots of gold with, without ever seeing it. Um, but if I'm selling it back to the people who, who who sold it to me in the first place and it's never left their premises, they've got no reason to to have any issues about its authenticity. And um, so I think that, uh, you know, people, people do need to kind of um, – Think about you know what they're buying it for. Physical gold, I I use the money that I'm saving up for my my daughter's education, so I view that as my lowest risk. Uh, but then I've got uh, some explorers where I've made an awful lot of money, um, and uh, you know then I, I I've got some producers and some new to produce new, new to production, uh, which are kind of as far as I can say lower risk. So. You need to build up a portfolio, and you know, as I said earlier, I have different commodities as well. So, you know, what I'm trying to do with with the gold package, um, as much as anything, is not only help people sort of create a comfort zone for themselves, but also to strategize about how they want to invest in the sector. And um, if you've got money that you really need, uh, then I put that in a much lower risk form of gold or silver. And if you've got money that, you know, you can punt around a bit, then you can put it in a higher risk category. But, um, you know, everyone's different. Well, we have just about a minute left. So I'd like to remind everyone that Simon's website is brookvillecapital.com. At the website, he's offering a gold package. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, Again, the website, brookvillecapital.com. Simon, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for taking time out of your day-to-day to to chat with us, and I'd love to have you back down the road. That was great. Really enjoyed it, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. We will be back after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to Mr. Simon Popple for joining me on today's program. If you're just joining me or you haven't yet done so, there is a June 2023 special report available titled Current Economy Income Strategies. It talks about the three income planning mistakes people make when planning for retirement and in retirement in today's economy and gives you some strategies to consider for your own situation. All you need to do to get your free copy of the report is visit the website requestyourreport.com. 
The website, again, requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail that report, and I'll be very glad to get it out in the mail to you. Along with some bonus information, I'll send you a copy of my best-selling Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization and also a copy of the best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing. So again, go to requestyourreport.com. You'll get the bonus information as well as the June 2023 special report titled Current Economy Income Strategies. In this segment, I want to talk about real estate, in particular commercial real estate. Um, As many of you know, I have been forecasting that we will get stagflation, which is rising consumer prices with economic contraction. And I believe stocks and real estate will ultimately go much lower than than we see them now. Now, Barbara Corcoran, some of you may recognize that name. Barbara Corcoran is one of the the stars of Shark Tank. Uh, She is a real estate investor. And she recently commented on a tweet that Elon Musk put out stating that the commercial real estate market was tanking. Ms. Corcoran puts it very, very succinctly. She says all hell is going to break loose. She says the commercial real estate market is going to get a lot worse before it ever gets better. In fact, she says it will be, quote, a bloodbath. Those are pretty strong words from Ms. Corcoran. Now, this is an article that was published in Fortune last week. Musk said that Elon Musk said that commercial real estate is melting down fast in a tweet. And Corcoran uh, agreed. In fact, Corcoran, a little background on her. uh, She sold her New York real estate brokerage back in 2001. So a little more than 20 years ago for $66 million. And Corcoran says there's not nearly enough confidence in the commercial real estate market here post-pandemic. She said there are huge amounts of office blocks across the United States that are lying partially empty. Now, Castle is a real estate data firm, and Castle says the average occupancy of offices across America right now is just under 50%. That is an astounding number when you think about it. The average occupancy of offices across America is just under 50%. And not surprisingly, the New York metropolitan area has some of the lowest rates of tenancy. Corcoran said this in the Fortune article, and this is a quote, no one really believes it's going to turn the corner. People are staying home. Our best office buildings in midtown Manhattan are 50% occupied. And in most major cities or in secondary cities, we have a 20% vacancy rate. No one wants to take that chance. Now, Ms. Corcoran added that with the turbulent economic times that she is forecasting, you'll see more businesses defaulting on their loans or mortgages. And that's an issue that will trickle back to regional banks. Now, Corcoran's theory is in line with the data that is being reported. UBS, in fact, said in April it expects to see more defaults on real estate loans as a result of a credit crunch that they are expecting, that they are forecasting. Corcoran says, quote, I don't see that turning around. I think it's going to be a bit of a bloodbath before it gets better. 
Elon Musk has sounded the alarm on this very issue multiple times. He warned last week in a response to Kraft Ventures founder David Sachs, uh, highlighting the level of debt about to mature in this sector, was that was just the last time that he did that. Now, for those of you that are not familiar, there's about $3 trillion in commercial real estate mortgages that exist. About half of those mortgages will have to refinance in the next 24 months. And as you know, that will happen at much higher interest rates. So we're just seeing the beginning of this problem. Now, I expect this will also extend to residential real estate. There are a few residential real estate markets around the country that I do track. Inventories are going up, and we are now seeing price cuts starting uh, by sellers that are serious about selling their homes. Musk said that the most serious looming issue in the economy is this, uh, the mortgages and the refinancing. Now, Torian, which is a real estate firm, uh, has a CEO by the name of Fred Cordova. And Mr. Cordova described what is coming in the commercial real estate market as apocalyptical. He said the commercial real estate crash has already started with the office sector set for what he calls a, quote, cataclysmic slump. Now, Cordova, who is, again, the CEO of Corian Enterprises, said last week that warnings issued by investment banks like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have come far too late. They're making the forecast as office prices are already in freefall. Cordova said this, quote, they're not sounding the alarm, referring to Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. They're ringing the bell when the horses are all out of the barn. This has been coming for some time. What's happening in the office sector is apocalyptical. We're creating this huge class of zombie buildings, buildings that no one wants to put any money into because the capital structure is broken. So we've got rising interest rates. We've got trouble in the commercial, in the regional banking sector. And this is all setting up for what likely, like, will likely be a perfect storm for commercial real estate that I believe will get legs and affect residential real estate as well to a greater extent than rising interest rates have already affected residential real estate. Borrowing costs, when you look at what the Fed's done with interest rates, uh, base interest rates have gone from zero to over 5% in the last 15 months. That has translated to mortgages, fixed rate mortgages in excess of 7%, but commercial real estate is typically financed with variable rate mortgages. So we have this, this perfect storm, to use that term again, brewing in this commercial real estate market in Cordova is suggesting that a building bought for $230 million just a couple of years ago is probably now worth about $100 million. So that tells you, as Cordova said, that the horses are already out of the barn. He finished his comments on this by asking, have you seen the Denzel Washington movie Flight? Well, the wings of the plane are on fire. The plane is coming down. It's just a matter of how hard it is going to hit. And again, he used the term, it is going to be apocalyptical. So if you have real estate and you're thinking about selling it, I would uh, certainly urge you to consult with the appropriate professional, but it certainly might be a good idea to consider accelerating those plans. And if you're thinking about buying real estate, uh, I would also take a look at 
where you think things are going and uh, perhaps uh, maybe defer those plans a bit and see how all this happens to fall out. That said, a uh, quick reminder as I close that I do have the June special report available. I'd be glad to send it to you. Just go to requestyourreport.com and I'll send you a copy of the report, Current Economy Income Strategies. That's again at requestyourreport.com. I'll be back again next week.